If you've already listened to my previous episode entitled Help, My Child Isn't Listening, this episode will be of particular interest to you. It can stand alone, but it does follow on really nicely from the previous episode in that it deals with next level boundary setting. Welcome to Curious Not Furious. I'm Louise Brooks, parenting coach and family advisor and a mom of two. I support parents to navigate the ups and downs of life with kids through one-to-one sessions, online courses, and workshops. And here, where I take on the hard questions and offer actionable strategies and inspiration that can help you in your parenting. Last week's episode was obviously about how do we give the good no? How do we say no in a way that minimizes the chance of our child reoffending, upping the ante? carrying on as if they haven't heard us. And as I cover in that episode, a lot of that is to do with the shame that naturally arises when we use shaming statements, but also just part and parcel of being given a no. The word no is always something we receive when we have crossed a boundary. And therefore, even if we as parents give a very loving and respectful no, our child is likely to still experience a a dose of what we could call healthy shame. Not toxic, but healthy shame. So in order to illustrate what it is I want to share with you, I want to use a personal example. You know, sometimes it's in the everyday encounters with our kids that we just have the greatest opportunity for growth and for learning and for seeing things in a new way. And um, I want to share with you something that happened between my daughter and I the other day. My daughter is 10 years old, soon to be 11, and she's generally a sensible and you know trustworthy 10-year-old girl who is sort of pretty mellow on the whole. She wasn't always this way. She was a lot more fiery when she was a toddler. But as she's matured, she's matured so beautifully and has learned on the whole to accept a no and to deal with her frustration. And, and due to the fact that my husband and I have taken great interest in kind of learning more about strong will dynamics, and hence the reason I do what I do now, she's probably the person I could thank for, for working in this industry. We're at a place now and have been for a long time where tiresome power struggles and her refusal to comply when we gave her ultimatums, which we would do in desperation when she was a toddler, are a a distant memory. Please also know that it doesn't mean that we lived happily ever after. You know, as with anything, we are, we're having good days and we're having bad days. And my daughter can also occasionally dig her heels in, in, in a way that kind of reminds me of what she used to be like, quite inflexible, quite stubborn, quite persistent and insistent when she was younger. But those are traits that she has generally channeled channeled into to other more more healthy pursuits, such as stubbornly working out how to perform a skill or to teach herself a new a new um, physical activity that she's been dying to do for a long time. So, because of my history with my daughter, and she was the baptism of fire for us and our family for sure, being the firstborn and presenting with such a a fire soul, as I like to call it. I learned a lot about what to do and what not to do in boundaries, around boundaries, about saying no, and about power struggles, which would often flare up when she was younger because her dignity, her personality, and her pride would forbid her to 
to bow down to our ultimatums when we, you know, not knowing how to go about these situations would just up the ante ourselves and present her with a choice between a rock and a hard place. So I've got hard-earned knowledge in this field, courtesy of my dear daughter. And therefore, I want to share with you one thing that is absolutely crucial in boundary setting, providing that the boundary setting is respectful and loving, which we covered in the previous episode. What I want to share with you is what happens after. So after you've towed the line, after you have successfully held the boundary, even when your child felt frustrated and cried and bargained and tried to negotiate, but you, you stood firmly in your no and you respectfully held the boundary. What happens after is crucial. Let me exemplify. So the other day when my daughter came back to the house after having been up to her good friend in the road to have a little play, she comes back to the house and she is dying to invite her friend over for dinner and a sleepover. Now, that night, we were not in a position to invite her friend over for various reasons and were fairly clear on the fact that this wasn't going to happen. Both my husband and I, we did have that sort of behind the scenes conversation about it. Is this something we're going to do? And we decided that this wasn't the weekend, but we were going to invite her friend over for, for dinner and a sleepover. So my daughter had strong feelings about this. She was obviously deeply intent on sharing this experience with her friend, and she wasn't going to back down easily. She was actually going to put up a fight. Now, putting up a fight is a really healthy thing. We, we want to see that a child can fight for what they want. Is it pleasant? No. Is it convenient? No. It's none of those, neither of those things, but it is healthy to be able to fight for what we want. This is a skill that we want to preserve in our children um, for when they get older. So my daughter had a tough time accepting our no. And the way that for my daughter this plays out is sometimes that she becomes quite incessant. She gets stuck in a little bit of a loop of saying the same thing, applying the same kind of pressure like a dripping tap. And it is triggering. It is very triggering unless we take deep breaths, stay grounded, keep a cool head and a warm heart. And I use certain types of mantras in situations like that that we can cover in a different episode to keep me in that head and heart space. Otherwise, I can easily escalate to anger when this happens. This is one of those things that I have worked on a lot for myself and it pays off. But there is, when she really, really, really wants something, there is usually a good little while where she will go through this process. And I know the drill, I know the pattern, and I also know that we get to a point, and if you think about your own child here, where you're successfully holding a boundary, you know you're not going to negotiate, you're not going to change your no to a yes. When you start paying attention to your child's noises, to your child's way of crying, for instance, or to the feeling they're having as they're negotiating. You might notice that they go through anger 
And then they go on to maybe some rudeness, you know, depending on their age. They might become a bit sassy. They might say things that are a little bit triggering, a little bit sort of on the cusp of not being okay with you. And then there comes a point where you can tell that acceptance is starting to set in. And this is our cue. This is our cue that is to alert us that now our child is moving into the grief stage. The tears and the sadness is a sign that your child has understood the message and it's been integrated as acceptance. So now they grieve for what they can't have. And at this point, irrespective of how triggering all the behaviors have been up until this point are, so this is quite an extreme example. You can also think of less triggering scenarios. But when you decide to hold the boundary and allow your child to come up against the frustration, and now they move towards acceptance because you can tell it moves from anger to more sadness, it's so important that we keep the door for connection open here. Because if we keep our child at arm's length, if we f do what perhaps, if you're to be honest, your heart feels like doing, it might feel like you want to punish your child for having caused you so much grief, for having put up such a fight, for having caused so much emotional chaos in your house that you are not quite ready to invite your child back into the fold again. But do, if you can at all muster it, try to allow yourself to be more emotionally agile in moments like that. Here's why. And I'm not going to tell you it's because we want to be kind and loving parents, which we may or may not want to be in that moment. It's not because it's the morally correct thing to do, but do it simply because it's the most effective way to handle this situation. Here's what I mean. When your child has been fighting so hard to try and change your no to a yes, but unsuccessfully, They have tears, they have snot, they have been angry, they've been feeling all the emotions under the sun. And they're still a little bit shaken from this experience. By the way, as a you, it's going to feel virtually impossible for a child to muster the skills needed to go from being in that kind of relationship with you in that moment, in that mind state, in that emotional state, to off their own accord, becoming come and entering into right relationship with you unless you make it possible, unless you extend an invitation. It's the invitation that allows them to move on from that no that they had to accept to moving on. So, Not because you want to be kind necessarily. Don't do it because you think it's the morally correct thing to do, but do it because it's the wisest thing to do. When we don't, our child won't really know what to do with themselves. So it might look like they're sort of floundering about out there doing more negative stuff. They, they might go on to find other things that they can get some negative attention from. Sometimes that looks like going to push a sibling or picking a fight or deliberately doing something that you, they know not to do. 
So if you see that kind of behavior, it is usually about the time where you would do well to extend an invitation to come into what I call right relationship with you again. Other children will simply take themselves away. So they might even highlight how hurt they feel now. And they would maybe go into more of a sulking mood, go upstairs, go into their bedroom, lie on their bed and be very dramatic and very explicit about how hurt they feel. That's another cue to us that we do well to extend an invitation again back into connection with us. So what does that actually look like? It can look like many different things and it often requires us to be a bit um, creative on the spot, be curious about what the moment has to offer and look at the context that we're in. In my case, if we go back to go back to my daughter's example again, in my case, it looked like changing subject. So when I noticed in her incessant begging for what she wanted to 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 achieve that night, when I noticed a change in that that suggested to me that she knew that this was a lost cause, I invited her in to whatever I was doing at the time with her brother to do something with us. And in that moment, I don't make her jump through more hoops or swallow any more pride. I I make it easy for her to join. I might even consider speaking about her to her brother as if I radically accept her in that moment. And I do that by saying, hey, should we give her this piece and ask your sister to come over here and join us? And if I hear any judgment on his part about her performance just a minute ago, I will speak nicely about her. I'll speak about the situation as if I understand where all that, all of those big feelings came from. There was something she really, really wanted and it was really hard to accept that she couldn't have it. It's another way to indirectly communicate to our child that we accept them, irrespective of how they showed up in that moment of having fought so hard to get what they really wanted, to change our no to a yes. And that can allow her to come back into the fold again. And unlike what we might have been taught Unlike what we might have understood parenting to good parenting to be in that moment, a case of then punishing her for all the things that she did while she was trying to be in this mission of changing my no to a yes, that that's what's going to help her next time. It isn't. I merely need to hold my boundary. It's hard. And I need to say no to certain behaviors. But then afterwards, I don't need to scold her for having gone through the process of fighting for what she really wants. I need to invite her back into the fold again. And this, in turn, allows her over time to see that this is something we can do. We can we can do this. We can accept. We can surrender, which is ultimately what she's finding very hard to do. The surrender to what is. If you have a child who will routinely take him or herself away after a lost battle in this way, it is equally important to go back up and reinstigate connection again. That's not our child's job to come back and do that. It might feel like we've raised some very conscientious little people who will come back and, and repair what was just done. But it is a good idea if our child is, is sending out strong signals that they feel hurt, that they feel unloved, or that they feel that the world is unjust, that we come up to their bedroom if we find them lying on their bed. And rather than saying sorry, this is not about apologizing. It's merely about just being with. 
we can maybe be allowed to sit on the edge of the bed while they're lying there, put a hand gently on the back of, a, of their back, and then say, you know, just being there. And if they say, you don't love me, or it's so unfair, not even contradict, just merely be with and go, yeah, it's tough when you don't get what you want. And that action alone, you being in their room, you coming towards them as opposed to staying away from them, will show them the same thing, that surrender is possible without necessarily feeling unloved, without losing part of yourself. So that concludes our little bonus episode on boundary setting. I wanted to share this with you today because I know how easy it can be to let our pride and our our own inflexibility stand in the way of actually moving forward after having said no in a way that that moves us closer again. I find it really helpful to think of boundaries as a little rupture in your in your connection. And it's a necessary rupture, but after a rupture there has to be that repair. And that is our job as parents to sort of instigate that repair again. And when we do, and when we are in the habit of repair, and we show our child that there is a way out following a no, following misbehaviors, following being corrected or being told what to do, what not to do, we'll begin to see that these are just little moments throughout the day that don't necessarily need to set the course for the rest of the day. And we'll show our kids through this invitation, that it's okay to fight for what you want. And it's okay to having shown up not in your finest hour and you're still lovable. You're still worth loving and being connected with. Parenting is not easy. And we have many, many opportunities to play around with this and to get it right for ourselves and go easy on ourselves in the process. And if you find this difficult, it's because it is. And one thing that can truly help us to make these little changes is to have a parenting coach. If you are curious about how this works, and if you'd like to just be able to ask a few questions and see if I'm the right person for you, you are always welcome to contact me on mail at louise-brooks.com. You can find me on social media. All of my social media handles are to be found in the show notes. And I'm more than happy to book you in for a free discovery call. Until we connect next week, I hope you have a wonderful week. And if you like this episode and you found it useful, please feel free to share it with a friend, share it on social media, give it some stars, write some feedback. And whatever you do, make sure you follow the show. This way it becomes available to so many more parents. Wish you all the best and we'll connect next week.